Hey, good people. He's Tim Johnson. I'm Chris Ruddick. We're here for Love of Code, bringing you current events, our experience, and opinionated commentary around all things software. These episodes are powered by Prime3 Software, where we create purpose-built software to supercharge businesses. Tim Johnson, how are you doing today? Super fan, man. I'm uh, sporting my uh, cool little headband. You look like you're ready to uh, go out and kick the soccer football around. <laughs> That's funny because this is one of those headbands that my, my well, both my kids play soccer, but the the oldest one loves um, um, Julie Ertz and she wears mm -hmm. some type of whatever headband stuff is. She got that stuff for, Chris, for Christmas and this happens to be one of those. So they're like, dad, you got to grow your hair out. So dad's right. growing his hair out to be like one of the cool kids. All right. I'm trying to still talk my kid into a mohawk. I'm, he's very nearly there. So. <laughs> just, just keep shaving off a little bit higher. Yeah. Every yeah, time. I do cut his hair. So. But he's, you know, you breach that trace of trust one time and it's, it's all over. Oh, he just so. won't notice it one day. You just kind of just start working your way over to the top. You're like, bam. Oh, I thought that's what you wanted. Yeah. It's <laughs> called a fohawk, kid. It's not really a mohawk. Well, I said, you know, of all the times, you know, it is a summer. Uh, quarantine's kind of a uh, question mark. I said, you know, like, you know, if you're going to do it ever in your lifetime, now would be the lifetime to do it. So, yeah, because as, as Mother Nature's uh, starting to take over now, so it might, <laughs> might be the only time he has to do it. Uh, I don't know if you saw this thing about the stupid dust cloud. <laughs> yeah, what 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 does that mean for me? All I read that was that it's going to have less hurricanes. So I said, all right, sweet, bring it in. Well, it's something like 2,000 miles wide, and it's supposed to be in Texas, I think, tomorrow through um, through Sunday. And then, I mean, they're tracking it just like it, it is a hurricane. Um, I have no idea what it's going to do overall. Maybe it's just like bad pollen. I have no idea. Mm. Um, I wonder if this will uh, dampen the the, uh, the the plague of locusts that's also coming this summer. <laughs> yep. Well, it's going to hit that same general area, so that's kind of funny. So dust storm coming. Yep. Um, yeah. So what else is going on? <laughs> uh, so let's see. They had the WWDC from from Apple, which is their All worldwide right. developers so, conference. Oh, good. Because I couldn't place the well, it's uh, kind of, yeah it's funny that, that the conference wasn't really a conference it was more it was a pre-recorded set of keynotes and stuff and you know my biggest the biggest thing i took away from it i didn't watch the whole thing but the biggest takeaway was that they're switching architectures again um yeah. and they're gonna start i mean the writing was on the wall at least i i gotta think so they have a current deal with intel well let me back up so my love affair slash hate of apple i can't say hate my i can my, well I can. so i i my very first apple was a power pc based one and about a year after i bought that they switched to intel which means yeah you know now that you mention it i did see an article saying that any of your hackintosh uh is is going to be in peril yep. okay yeah so so, so my power PC basically its days were numbered because they were only going to support it for so for so long. Um, so, if you didn't watch our podcast before about talking about uh, you know um, your rights to repair and stuff, that would be this would be one of those times where you'd advocate for that uh, because once they move off of Intel, you know, there's probably two or three years that they'll still provide dual code libraries, but that'll soon that'll die out. Um, so you'll be back, you know, at the whims of Apple. Um, but they've been with Intel for, I think, like 10 years, maybe longer. Um, but that's one of the reasons why I stopped staying with Apple because they kept, they kept moving architectures and stuff. That and if you're not buying every year, they'll, they'll stop supporting you rapidly. And if you want any value out of your PC, you, you, you basically have to keep or your laptop. You have to keep up with the Joneses in order to do that. And that gets to be quite expensive. Um, so yeah, they're switching over to their own silicone. So, um, their own? yeah, well, I of mean, they've been they doing have. it. So they bought, I forgot what, what, uh, what, uh, chip manufacturer they bought a decade or more ago. And it like the writing was on the wall then like, Oh, they're going to start doing their own. And the fact that they hadn't yet, I, I gotta feel like they, um, they had to have some deal with Intel that said, Hey, 
we're doing a 10 year contract and we'll reevaluate or something. It's something along those lines because it doesn't make any sense. They make their own chips for app for their iPhone. They make their own chips for their, their new earbuds. They make their own chips for the, the iPad and everything else. The only chip they don't make for themselves is the, um, is the laptop and like the computer based ones. And now they're suddenly being able to do that. So like I said, I feels like it was a contract thing because you know, as soon as they bought that, you could see it. And I get it. Like they can make, they can now make more powerful, less power draining computers now because they can custom, custom, write, Custom configure the CPU to handle the exact set of hardware that they are putting out with the exact software. So, I mean, they're going to have sure. some beastie performance with, coming out with, yeah, with, purpose-driven hardware that can't be used in any other place ever and is obsolete in a year. So sign me up. Well, uh, like I said, I mean, I mean the, the, the other cool thing is I believe their processor is going to be arm based. So if, if anybody's not familiar with that, so arm is a, is a consortium that they come out with basically um, like overall kind of just how to lay it out and the chip manufacturers buy a licensing um and they can they can manufacture their own chips so it's kind of like they they basically aren't the arm consortium builds blueprints and you the chip manufacturer get to use those in order to build your processors um all the all your phones are arm based um and have been eating intel's lunch uh because i think the now the most prevalent chip out there is a qualcomm which is comes from the phones uh, used to be forever. It was Intel. So they're, they're no longer, but arm is going to make its way into the mainstream. And I, I got to think that arm's going to be the chip processor of the future just because it's low power consumption. Um, you know, you can think of, uh, all your, uh, server towers and data, data, um, data centers and stuff want to reduce that power footprint and increase their performance. So, um, yeah, so that was interesting. Everybody's gonna have to rewrite all their code in in ARM, or maybe they don't have to rewrite it at all because you know they already if something already works for um, on a phone. Let's say easy. hopefully the operating system would abstract a fair amount of that away, so you wouldn't have to. Well, they have something they they have something called Xcode that'll do the conversion, but you know that's never <laughs> if anybody's ever wrote some type of converter or uh, used a converter, it's not it's never a hundred percent. So. It'll get you, you know, maybe 80% of the way there. So, um, let's see. Outside of that, AWS announced this thing called Honeycode, which could potentially put us out of a job. Mm. It's purported to be uh, basically drag and drop for, uh, it says, no programming required. Customers who need yeah. applications to track and manage things like process approvals, event scheduling, customer relationship management, user surveys, to-do lists, uh, content and inventory no longer need to do so by error prone methods like emailing spreadsheets and documents. So they have like this drag and drop kind of widgety, WYSI, WYSIWYG kind of tooling. Um, some cool stuff like you're supposed to be able to upload an Excel file and that, that becomes your data set and then you can then build in mobile apps and web apps like it's all comes baked in um yeah i read an article recently there was a well it was a tech survey that said that by 2024 there's going to be such a uh, a demand for for programmers there's going to be a, a much deeper demand for these no code low code options to um you know kind of abstract away the need for having programmers to to do to build programs so that falls right in line with that with that article well yeah you even look at things like what what your uh, kids were doing with swift or whatever that's a lot of drag and drop kind of stuff um yeah scratch yeah scratch yeah. sorry swift is the programming language he's not there yet <laughs> <laughs> um but you know it, it's kind of funny like as we're talking about that i'm thinking hey i I feel like I've heard about this stuff before. And I was going to say, I've heard at least, I don't, I don't know, not generational, but like every decade I hear something about like, oh yeah, this is going to be the no code. You know, anybody can do it. Drag and drop, click and drag, wire it together. Well, maybe this time they'll get it right. To get, to give Microsoft some credit, 
access forms. This feels <laughs> access forms, but way better interface capabilities. Um, I mean, but I mean, if like if, there's plenty of businesses that are still running from from access. Yep, I I run into them quite frequently. Yep, there are limits along the lines of what what access were like. It's not you can't do a full blown database. You can do relational models and things like that. You can have uh, um, RDMS RDMS ish kind of functionality, but there is limits of scale, like how many records it'll support and stuff like that. But um, for somebody who needs to do something simple, this is that, like I said, now, as we're talking about it, I'm like, Hey, I, I, this was access forms. This is everything access forms was supposed to be. And I remember how cool it was when it came out. Um, I know I used one of them to, to, to um, program in, <laughs> I say that loosely. Um, and you could get advanced, you could drill into the code and, and uh, get more complex. But for the most part, you just dragged fields out and it auto populated. I mean, it was pretty slick. Um, the UIs, I all, I've always hated the UIs. Um, They're all uh, visual basic, right? Didn't, yeah. Didn't where they, well, yeah. The, the biggest problem I always had with the UIs is in order to go to the next record, you had to put the stupid little widget at the bottom and it was a next, yeah, page, an end. Yeah, it was some pagination thing that was garbage. It wouldn't let you jump to a certain record. There was no filtering. You couldn't, like, all that stuff. I'm like, ah, this this has to be better or give you a list, um, some of that. But it never, you know, th those ideas, you know, kind of probably go beyond or maybe I just didn't, wasn't in it enough. But, I mean, it served its purpose for what it did. So here, here we are again what 25 years later and their amazon's going at it well if anybody can solve it i'd, I'd put money on them their 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 product suite is i mean we've we've raved about it on numerous shows they 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 just keep expanding what they're offering so the only other thing that i'd seen was the they released um angular 10 which is which is news which is uh something specifically that we pay attention to is that a true release or yep, is it a, it's their it's their version 10 they're they're releasing so fast it's hard to, well, they hard release, to keep up they release uh every six months um the release nine was delayed i think I, if i remember correctly it was delayed because of the the covid uh stuff like they weren't able to get their final patches and stuff done like we're like right as they were supposed to be releasing the major quarantine shutdowns and stuff happened so matter of fact this article that just mentioned it says it's only been four months since they released version nine but i think they're trying to i think nine was late tens on time so and it says we plan to release version 11 this fall so get to updating everybody Jeez, they're gonna be up to version like 97 here soon well it's inter it's interesting who else was i reading that was moving to um every six months releases there's another product that we use and i can't i, I want to say it's java but i don't think it is that would be crazy if java released every six months yeah that'd be a bit um, extreme man i can't but i think they're on an annual release schedule now yeah and they've switched to this i think we talked about it one of our other podcasts that they've switched to this every like they're they they're going to release like every year um and then those will be kind of like canary releases to see like what features work what features don't they won't be like locked in and then once they get to a, a long-term a long-term support release so like currently their their latest long-term support release i believe is number 14 um so that means it was 11 and then 14 is the la the most recent uh, LTS. So you had 12 and 13 that were released in between. And mm -hmm. I want to say they're talking about releasing 15 here shortly. Um, but I, I, I'm wondering if the, the, the numbering strategy isn't more t aligned with trying to uh, get people to upgrade. Like it's a psychological thing. Like, hey, if it's a point yeah. release... Oh, oh man, I'm they're at really 15. I'm on, yeah, yeah. I'm on seven. I gotta, <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. I got to update. Exactly. All I know is that's a, that's why I'm such a fan of containerization Docker in particular is because when versions change this quickly, 
you have no guarantee for compatibility. So bring your own environment with you. And that's, that was a revelation when, when containers started popping up in the mainstream. Yeah. I mean, it's a bunch of stuff that's in here. I mean, it's, they've got a new, they upgraded TypeScript to the 3.9. I don't know what the latest this is angular is. now. Yeah. Okay. Um, Make sure we're not crossing streams. TS linting, all that fun stuff. Oh, speaking of linting, I saw where uh, GitHub, I think open source their linting tool or something like that. Microsoft, yeah, they they open source their linting tool. Yep. So now everybody can lint away on their uh, GitHub repos. What is linting? Uh, yeah, I wish I knew what it stood for, but basically, it just I have, go ahead. I have no idea, but it's. It's a it's a mechanism for cleaning up code. So there's some some standards involved with how a uh, code should be formatted, and um, linting identifies them and helps you get your code nice and pretty, so that it can be transpiled and and obfuscated and and turned into source that's unrecognizable by humans. But you know. Before that happens, it, you know, for for us developers behind the scenes, having universally uh, formatted code that uh, it just makes life a lot easier when you're when you're looking at a new project. Well, it's interesting. So as I'm reading this, I started thinking about linting. Yeah, it's think of this as a, like a lint roller. Yeah, you're getting you're getting. So it it says it's the history behind the name was a name originally given to a particular program to flag some suspicious and non-portable constructs like bugs that were in the C source code. So, I mean, you're talking something that's been around probably since what the eighties, um, the idea of linting, uh, is out there. And so, um, the first time I had heard it was, uh, introduced by a guy named Doug Crockford, who's, um, he invented, <laughs> he'll, he'll use that term loosely, the JSON standard. Um, and he has a JSON linter as well. Um, and a lot of people are angry with what the linting re returns back uh, as far as like whether or not you have good JavaScript. Um, because like one of the things he flags as, as bad as the eval. And I don't know who many, how many people still use eval, but um, his argument. Eval is bad. It's dangerous. Yeah, well, eval equals evil. <laughs> I think is what his, <laughs> one of his pet phrases it's like go to don't use go to yeah. well i've never written a go to in my life because i was warned and warned and warned yes uh i believe it or not i learned recently probably within the last five or six years that uh java supports go to oh yeah oh, man that's a core tenant they have a they have a it's called a label i believe it is and you can jump jump to label have you ever used a label yeah no yeah. i've seen no? them oh yeah I probably wrote them. I've I've got a couple in well, there our code. There you go. You've used GoTo. Yeah. Enjoy. Oh, well, I thought there was like an explicit call to GoTo. <laughs> oh. I know jumping between code segments is considered dangerous. But yeah, linting is a that's a cool thing to, to kind of. Well, I mean, it's like the thing we talked about with Sonar. You know, it's just somebody. It's it's some best practices that are kind of looking over your code to make sure you're not doing a SQL injection or you forgot. You know, you've got passwords stored in your in your files that you shouldn't, those kinds of things. And, you know, buy, you know, take with it what you want. You know, you can argue with it all you want. It's, it's, it's just a set of prob you know, things you should pay attention to kind of stuff. Oh, it'll, it'll get deep down in the weeds too. If you let it, I mean, it like, you know, how many spaces you are using to indent your code and how, what, <laughs> what character you're using to indent your code spaces or tabs, uh, then there's all sorts of rules defined around how and and what uh, your your code structure should be. We try to adhere to ones that are generally accepted across industry. So we've been using Google standards for six years now um, because we figure they're they're big enough they can throw their weight around and we'll just follow the follow the trend. You know what I wish we did have though. I wish there was a configuration like there's an editor config file that you can put in a project, particularly like a, a web project that will configure your editor for um, basic stuff like tabs versus spaces. Um, I keep bringing that one up because that's a toxic debate that, that happens all over all over the the, uh, the developer community. But um, 
the editor config will kind of uh, do some loose configuration for how uh, your code should be formatted when you're when you open an editor. So it's kind of universal and portable configuration. I wish they had the same thing between IDEs. So there was like a, a centralized configuration file that would configure my Eclipse to be the same configuration as your IntelliJ and it's all defined in one place and these tools could just inherit from that. Somebody's going to build that one of these days and it'll be like a point of the editor config. It is, but they don't really use it in Java programs as much. And it's really limited to like the scope of, of what it's configuring. I mean, my editor config in some projects is like five lines long. So it's really not touching on quite the level of configuration that, um, you know, we might be doing for, for some of our projects. So let's talk about something you brought up a minute ago. Uh, Fear-driven development. I really like that term. <laughs> it's it's been something that um, that I haven't really realized I've I've done, but I've caught myself doing it. Is um, you know I, I I find myself writing more and more complexity because I'm afraid based on past experiences of of uh, of what might could happen, and then the next thing I know, I've built just this giant ivory tower based on fear that that makes me think of you know i i remember working at at a company that they had um written some code to actually send email and um there was some there was some enhancement that i wanted to make uh because i saw there was a deficiency and and i i want to say all the senior devs not just one of them all of them came down to where I was at and like, what, why are you messing with this? What that, that thing's been working perfectly for 15 years. Don't touch it. And I'm like, Whoa, what, what huh? And it, it was at that point where I'm like, wait, what there's code you can't touch. Like explain this to me. The person that built it was no longer there. It was functionality that I'm 99% certain already existed in a different you know, in a more uh, understood and well-documented and tested library out there. I think it was just doing SMTP, like I guess before there was Java SMTP uh, instances. So, I mean, the code was really old um, and was doing socket level things, um, stuff that, you know, there's, like I said, there's so many different libraries that handle all that stuff now, but they, um, I, I really wish I could remember what it was, but that's how that when you say fear fear driven that's what that's what i think about um well you find that i i find that a lot in in companies particularly companies um that have some dated legacy code and have their own development shops where it's just like we got this thing don't mess with it i mean we have some of that code ourselves you know it's like the most um it's like the oldest piece of the program it's probably the part that's like most critical because it interfaces with another system and it's kind of voodoo we don't really exactly know what it does um because it's in this specific format of what it produces and uh it's like you know what i got other things so i'm not going to worry about this right now um but i you know I, in my opinion you, you get over a lot of that by writing really good tests and then one you understand exactly what the thing does and two you can make modifications to it because you have that safety net that you know, you know, any changes that you make aren't going to have this unintended uh, side effects and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I mean, you know, like you said, that, that definitely underscores the need for testing. Anybody that wants to argue, you know, I don't, I don't have time to write tests or I don't want to write tests or, you know, I don't know how to write tests, you know, whatever, whatever the excuse is, these things underscore that like you should like that was <clears throat> when I first got introduced to testing, that was the thing that, um, really you introduced me to testing. Yeah, you that, blew my mind. Yeah, that was, was the like, thing oh. that really, um, stuck out to me is like, Oh, you can, you can change things with impunity because you know, you know, this is also caveat with provided you have some really good tests and that it covers everything you can change and refactor anything you want at any time with no fear. My, my, my test used to be like, I would write a script and it would be like, go here, do that. 
Like, I mean, like, not like a script that that runs executable script. I'm talking like a like I wrote series down of a paper. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it's like go to this thing, click on this button, put this number in there, write the word, do the thing, hit the button. You should see this. And that was those were my tests, and it was like a sequence of steps that you had to carry out to make sure that the program ran. So even if I touched some little minor piece of code like way in the back end way down deep you still had to run through the whole program from the front end we had no real way to like test the back end you had to run everything from the front end to make sure everything was working and then i had like pre-configured data sets so i could load up a data set and then walk through my script and then load up a data set and walk through my script and this was all like i don't even know if i checked it in Cause we had a, like a really bad build system at the time. So I, like, I think I like just had this stuff like living on a shared drive somewhere, which obviously didn't go with me when I left the job. So nobody really benefited from these quote unquote tests that I had once I left. I mean, when, when you introduced me to testing, it was like, it was like the, one of the most Eureka moments in my, in my career. It was like, Holy cow, this this, this is a game changer. I, I can't believe I didn't know about this sooner. And you're right. It, uh, the, the fear of breaking things and introducing bugs, like that all just went away instantly. And it was, it, I, I, it was at that moment. I was like, I would never, I would never do this a different way. This is, this is how I'm doing this forever. Yeah. And I mean, those, those kinds of anxiety stuff, like I, I don't remember, I I I remember pre pre life before writing tests, and I remember there was some sections of code where I was like, "Ooh, that's some tricky code," and you know, I'd even when I was talking to the customers, I would try and steer them away from whatever this feature was because there was some there was some bug or something that I knew was there, but as long as you these three criterias weren't met, you wouldn't you couldn't go down that path, and I didn't have really have a way to do that you even you even write code differently because you start writing from the for, from the perspective of you know if, if you have to write some really long convoluted all the stuff you just said about setting up your 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 code's probably um probably could stand to be rewritten in a way that you can write smaller composable tests um, yeah that's usually my first question is you know how how am i going to test this yeah. like if i if i don't have a means to, to exercise my code with a test, then I'm, I'm probably doing it wrong. I take another look. Yeah. If you're super disciplined, you even go one step further and you write your tests first. I'm not, um, I've tried, I can't. And that gets <laughs> me back to that. Like what I, that, that ivory tower that I was talking about earlier is like, I get so caught up in because you're in this game long enough. You're gonna, you're gonna been there. You're gonna done that you're you know you've <laughs> you've written a, you've written so many things that you're really familiar with like all the pitfalls that come along with it so like when i start start writing my tests first before i start writing my feature set i i i just can't do it because i get so caught up in the like oh well what if this and what if that and what if this and what if that and the next thing you know i'm like i'm checking every single I'm, you know, null checking everything, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm validating all these, all these criteria. And, and what ends up happening is half of my tests get thrown away because they don't really, you know, exercise the, the final code that I'm trying to write. And when I, when I get in that place where it's just like, oh my gosh, well, what about all these, these fringe cases that might happen? Like, and I, I repeat the adage, yag me you ain't going to need it. So don't write it. <laughs> and, and that, that absolves me from a lot of that fear and anxiety that crops up. Yeah. And a lot of that stuff too, um, you know, from an agile perspective, um, people, you know, that's a difficult thing because you, you know, when you go to do sprint planning or something like that, you may know there's 12 other features. I know they're going to attach to this, but you really should function in, you know, this project could be thrown away after the end of the sprint. So Yagni, you know, those 12 other features. Um, right. We'll get there when we get exactly. there. Um, so, and I, that's a, that's also a difficult uh, concept. I know we, you know, we, we joined onto a new team here with our, with uh, one of our contracts and some of those got, well, 
several of those guys aren't used to doing agile at all. And so it's really difficult to kind of convince them that, Hey, let's focus on this. Not, not the thing, you know, potentially three sprints away. Um, and we actually have real world examples that right now of like, Hey, we were headed down this path. We've changed direction, you know, in literally a matter of two days, we've changed direction and that whatever that plan was, you know, it's still a plan. There's still things that need to get done, but they are way down on the priority chain now that by the right. time we get there, we may have a different set of criteria in order to service that, that new or that thing we knew we were going to need. It might not look anything like that going forward. So, um, go ahead. So I touched on like, uh, <laughs> clunky old code living in, 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 in businesses, uh, and it kind of leads me to ask the question, you know, we, we deal as, as software contractors, um, what's the difference between being a contractor versus being an employee? Like, and what, what's, what are the pros and the cons of, um, of, of being one or the other, both from, we can touch on both as an employee and also as, as a, um, as an employer. So let me start with, um, you know, what is the pros of, of being a contractor from an employee perspective? Well, I mean, you get to, you can jump around, uh, as much as you want for the most part. Um, you know, you can, uh, you can get exposure really rapidly to different projects, different teams, different methodologies, different programming languages, languages, excuse me. You know, you can go from mobile to, to web, to database, um, you know, and you generally can uh, get that get that done in six months to two years or something like that. So you're not stuck. Travel is another thing. Um, you know, if you want to see all parts of the world, contracting is probably good for that. Um, uh, you know, being able to remote yeah, work remotely. That's probably one of those things, too, where, you know, it's, you're not necessarily have to be in the building uh, in order to do that. So, I mean, those are all cool things. You get to set your own salary um, for the most part, um, but that can also be a detriment. <laughs> I'm trying to think of all the benefits uh, that you could service. I mean, I, I think of more, I think I can think of more negative things um, from a contractor's perspective. Um, well, I mean, I think, I think there's certainly something to be said for working uh, as a contractor, because you're going to be around other contractors, you're going to be around people who do your same job and have had a, a wealth and diverse experience. Um, and, and being part of those teams will, will advance your craft much quicker than if you're, you know, a lone wolf buried down in the basement of some bank or, you know, wherever you might yeah, be working. Especially if you're like a young, somebody who's young, that's just trying to get introduced to stuff, you know, maybe you, through schooling and it's likely through schooling that you've gotten any knowledge at all. And being, being able to do a contractor lets you, you know, even figure out what field or track that you're interested in. Maybe you're, maybe you really like mobile. Maybe you, maybe you're more into the database side of things. Um, and like you've said all along, you know, schooling, schooling just doesn't teach you everything. It just shows that you're teachable. Um, and I mean, I know coming out of college, I was never taught how to do tests, IDEs, I mean, source code repository. I mean, all of that stuff, that was all stuff I learned on the job. You know, school was good for learning, you know, constructs and methodologies and stuff, but never like, all right, there's, there's doing and then there's teaching. And those are two woefully different things. So um, you definitely get more exposure faster by doing the contractor way. And I would say like you're I, in, in my experience, I see people leaving jobs roughly every two to three years and being a contractor, you know, generally that's the length of a contract is in and and that's the, the longer ones typically are run run that long with, with before there's like a recompete. Uh, the shorter ones can be three to six months. So you're right. If you're if you're wanting to get a, a really broad uh, experience, you, you know, it, it might be a good option for you because you're, you're able to, um, you know, kind of bounce between projects and see a lot of different things. And also if you work for a company, a contracting company that, you know, is of a good size, 
there's a fair chance that there's a lot of mobility uh, within the company without having to, you know, find another job. So um, depending on and back in the day, they used to kind of keep you on the bench. And, uh, you know, when, when your contract ran out, they, you, you do some, 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 uh, some CBTs, some, some class, some, some computer-based training. And then, uh, until they found your next contract vehicle, you land on back on that contract and, you know, you just keep on getting on. That's changed a little bit in today's day and age, but, uh, in general, you know, big businesses have lots of contracts and, and you do have, uh, the options uh to to move around a bit more than you might if you were you know working for for one business well yeah and you can you know definitely be more selective of about who you go to work for you know uh, in the software industry i think you know everyone's looking for developers and stuff and depending on where you fit kind of in the scale you know you might you, you might have 10 or 12 jobs that you can pick and choose from um, yeah, I mean, when I got my first contracting gig, I had 13 interviews in one day and I picked from any, any, I was offered every single one of them. I could take any, any job I wanted. So you, <laughs> depending on your, and I didn't have a lot of skills. I just had the right, uh, the right tickets at the time to, to get me going. So, uh, you know, being, being in demand in that, in within the industry within within your field being a contractor definitely has some some upside what would you say the uh, the benefits would be for working for a business um obviously stability well provided the business as a whole is is stable um you know that's gonna be less so certain when you come across like a startup or something like that i mean i, I would say a startup full-time employee versus a contractor, you kind of have the same level of, of, um, uncertainty. Um, so, um, you know, oft, oftentimes your full-time and full-time employment is going to give you, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of other benefits like medical, you know, they're going to have to do your taxes and stuff for you. And cause that's a lot of the stuff you have to do for, as a contractor, you got to manage all that, all your taxes and all that fun stuff. This is true. Uh, you might not have a loaded salary either. I've, I've worked a few places where I made a good paycheck, but also that was all I made. <laughs> there, there, was, there was no vacation. There was no sick leave. There was no leave of any kind. It was all, you know, you work, you get paid. You don't work, you don't get paid. Uh, you have that, the idea you can, um, you know, you have advancement that you can move up in the company. So, you know, maybe you don't want to be a developer full time forever. Um, you know, you can move up, be a team lead, those kinds of things. Um, I'm trying to think what other benefits to salary and, you know, sick leave and all that fun stuff. Um, I mean, you get to be part of a vision. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, depending on the size of the business and the size of the project, I mean, you might be on a, you know, a really great project that you, uh, that you would enjoy. And that's the, you know, the, the lifetime of that project could be many, many years and uh, you kind of get to see it through its entire life cycle, which is, you know, uh, you know, it's pretty, pretty interesting provided you're not, you don't get burned out and you're still, you know, excited about it after, you know, a few years, like being able to say you were a part of that from for a, for a long amount of time is pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know how much cachet there is in saying I work for Facebook or something like that, but I imagine to some degree somebody would somebody would uh use that as a as a positive oh i mean you'd be like yeah i'm the guy who, who invented likes yeah. <laughs> that'd be that'd be kind of neat but i mean you're also you know uh, in the, those kinds of businesses are are different because they're they're very tech oriented um if you were working for let's say uh a taxi cab company you know and you're you're a you know one of two developers on the project your your options are really limited at that point because it's you know you might be having steady work but you know let me go talk to to sharon over here you know she's <laughs> you're as limited as 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 that small group and and while i think every business should be rethinking how they do business and 
re-envision themselves as technology first businesses, uh, you might not be, we'll touch on this here in a minute, but you know, they might not be best equipped to, to have a development shop and, you know, uh, not having the the diversity of experience like i talked about before with um with being part of a contracting company can be very limiting because uh you you only have so many com collective tools in your toolbox and suddenly every when all you have is a hammer every problem starts looking like a nail and and uh i've seen that in a few places where the developers are very shunted because they've only been solving challenges a certain way for the same business for a very long amount of time. Yeah. I've, I've seen that as well. They get, they get, you know, you only get involved in certain projects because you're considered the subject matter expert. And then as new innovations come out, as new methodologies come out, as new technologies come out, you, you quickly become the legacy guy and you're like, wait, <laughs> but we don't but have I'm anybody to support. Person. Yeah. You don't have anybody to, 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 to handle the legacy stuff. And then, then it's like, okay, well to get out of that hole, <laughs> how are you going to get out of the hole? Make sure all your tests are covered so you can get away from that legacy code um, and move on to the next project. So, so, I mean, I think we started getting into some of the downsides of working as an employee. Uh, what else? Up until this COVID thing, you know, there's a lot of, there was a lot less opportunities to re remote work. I know my wife's company, even though <laughs> she has had multiple people that she's actually asked several people that aren't in her group that aren't even in her building say, Hey, did you know we haven't been in the office for three months? And they were like, wait, what? She's like, yeah, we haven't been there for three months. She goes, I had no idea, but yet they're getting information. Their, their higher ups are now saying, Hey, everybody start bringing your, start bringing your butts back to work because we are not a work from home company. And it's, it's sad because it's like, you know, if you can, if you can service that need from an, from an employer's perspective, why wouldn't you? Right. Um, and so that, you know, that goes into one of those downsides of being a, a, an employee. If you're not, if you're not in a company that's kind of views technology as a top tier concern or, you know, views the, uh, employee employee environment as one that can be productive and happy as opposed to nope butts and seats you know nine to five or eight to five or whatever you know hey it's two two minutes past your lunch break where are you at i mean i don't want i never want to work no. in that mode that, that that company culture is so important and i think there, that is definitely a trade-off as you're considering employment is, you know, are you bought in with the culture and the, the vision and the mission of that company? Because if you're not, uh, every day is going to, I mean, if you, if you hate smoking, working for a tobacco company probably isn't the best choice. And, you know, that's a pretty easy distinction to make. But in general, like you're saying, if you're, if your employer has opinions around, say, like remote work or, the necessity. I mean, I worked my first job with <laughs> casual Friday meant that you didn't have to wear your suit jacket. You could just wear your shirt tie, and dress pants. Um, you know, that made a ton of sense considering no one ever saw me back in the library where my computer was and I was writing a web page. So, you know, culturally that, that company wasn't geared, that particular job wasn't geared for, um, for innovation, for development, for developers. Uh, when you're a contractor, I mean, I, I was never loyal, never, I was never very loyal to my, uh, contracting companies, particularly later, uh, before I started my own company, uh, after you've switched jobs so many times, you really, uh, you know, caring about your, 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 your employer really, gets pretty low on your, your list of priorities. Um, because you're usually spending more time with your customer than you are with your, with your parent company anyway. And, and in a lot of cases I worked on at customer sites and rarely if ever saw my, um, saw my employers, as long as the, the paychecks showed up, I was, you know, I, I remember one point 
not opening my my company email for six months and i opened it up and i had like twenty thousand emails that i had to like had to wade through so i mean i recall that (laughs) that same type of situation it's, it's a blessing and a curse right i mean you you um you have the mobility but you're um you're you're definitely not um especially given given the type of work that you might be doing as a consultant you're you're definitely not as invested in the success of your employer as you are the success of your uh, contract holder yeah and some people some i would say some i've i've been around some guys contractor wise that don't care that they, they don't put the the emphasis on the business and i think that's one of the things that sets us apart as a company is that you know, when we get hired on to something like that, we treat, we would like to be treated as if we are an employee because that's how we are treating you. You know, we're, we're putting out quality product. We're putting in our time, we're putting on our effort and, you know, ideas and opinions in order to give you the best possible outcome for what you're paying for. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Some some places, go ahead. We're seeking to make a maximum impact on your business. And we, I'd say this all the time, we take your business as seriously as you take your business. But there are plenty of folks who see it a different way and are there to get 40 hours a week in and show up on time and leave on time. Yeah. And that was one of the, that was one of the downsides I was, I was going to mention is, you know, as a, as an employee, you know, the expectation of working 40 40 hours a week, um, you know, isn't there, you know, if you're working 60 hours a week as a developer, um, in a, I would say in a bad shop, you know, that's a, that's going to be the norm. Um, you know, we advocate using an agile methodology and working 60 hours a week is kind of, you're burning out your developers. Um, and if you're not, if you're not viewed as a useful resource, you know, if you're not viewed as a res- as a teammate, as a important, you almost uh, said resource. I know. I, I yeah. To... <laughs> That's a trigger word for Chris. That's right. Um, me go through the ceiling here in a second. Yeah. Well, we can save that to, for the downsides of contractors. Mm-hmm. Um, but as as an employee, you know, hey, if you if you have to put in weekends, if you have to put in nights, you know, it that's that's part of your job role. Whereas a contractor, you know, you don't generally have that same. You know, you're going to get paid for all that as extra overtime and all that stuff. So, um, you know, that's, that's, those are one of those things too, that, you know, when you get, when you become an employee, you, you get all the, you get all the benefits of, of being that, but then you have to deal with those kinds of things. Um, well, you touched on the downsides of being a contractor. Why don't you get into that? Oh, well, I'll just say being treated as a resource and but, <laughs> let you run with that one there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I got a real problem with that here. <laughs> I, I you, since for better or worse as a contractor, you're a commodity, right? And being referred to as a commoditized asset is, um, one of, one of my pet peeves because people aren't resources. People are people resources. Don't pay mortgages. People pay mortgages. So, uh, when when people just callously say, yeah, we need to add some more resources on this contract, um, that really speaks to how they see contractors. Yeah. Uh, I've worked for some great uh, clients who have seen us as part of their family and, and as valuable um, members of the team who are you know bringing tremendous value to to their day-to-day operations. And I've worked for some really crappy outfits who just see contractors as possibly the lowest form of life and it's it's frustrating because you know we are paid to do a job that one you can't do yourself and two that that we really take seriously and um but i don't i don't know where again that comes back to culture i don't know where that comes from but it's definitely a cultural thing and it and it varies from place to place um so that's something that you have to be mindful of and you have to be uh, be aware of that, you know, you are technically not an employee. And even though you're 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 using the same break room, you go to the same restroom, you're using the same equipment, you park in the same parking lot. Uh, 
you might not get invited to the to the all hands company lunch you might not uh uh you might not be considered part of the team you might just be considered uh the team and the contractors yeah. and and um and that's something that you have to be aware of some other uh you know downsides you're constant you don't know where your next necessarily where your next paycheck is going to come from um hopefully you've gotten a contract that you know at least gives you <laughs> A couple weeks notice that they're not going to need your uh, services anymore so you're constantly looking for that yeah uh, it's not uncommon to like on thursday or friday get told yeah we lost the recompete so uh don't bother coming in on monday and then it's also not uncommon that the person who won the recompete hires you on monday and you show up working for another person in the exact same job that that happens all the time particularly with defense contracting yeah, so my dad was on a on a con was on a government contract where his company kept losing and he would get hired on to the next guys, but they said, "Oh, well we're going to lower your salary by 10%." We want a 10%, yeah, it's all the time. And so he he stair-stepped down I think 5 years in a row where the company he was working for lost the bid and they just he just kept so it, over the course of 5 years I think he lost 50% of his income. Like none of them ever, none of them ever said, Hey, we're going to give you a pay bump. Nope. It was always, and it makes sense that the reason they would win it was because they came in lower. Not that we're going to do the job better. The race to the bottom. They were lower. And guess what? They did not perform and they, and they lost. (laughs) Well, it's never performance based. It was, it was how much can you do for what cost? And so it was one of those cost things. Um, I don't think it was a fixed cost uh, versus time and materials kind of thing. I I think it was just, you know, the nature of that, whatever he was doing. Um, And it's unfortunate, but I can see it from both sides. Um, Let's touch on that. What's, what's the difference between a fixed cost versus a time and materials contract? Yeah. So fixed cost is you bid up front, like, Hey, I think it's going to take me, you know, say you're just, say you're just building an app or something. I think it's going to take me, you know, 80 hours to do this. So you bid it at 80 hours for whatever your rate is. And if it takes you 120 hours, guess what? <laughs> You're getting paid for 80. For 80 yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely a danger in that. You have a potential that if it's something that you bid out at, at 80 hours and, you know, you've already got all the requirements up front well established and maybe you have a bunch of shortcuts and pre-made, prefabricated libraries that you're able to utilize and can bring it all together, maybe you can get it done in 40 hours. Um, you know, obviously these are very simplistic numbers, but maybe you can get it done in, in, in a week when you're bidding out two weeks. So now you get to, you get paid twice as much. Um, but you, you run that, you run that risk. Um, yeah, you gotta be really good at estimating and you gotta have requirements up front, which happens never. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then you, you better make sure you have, uh, you, you know, your contract states, you know, any, any change, any change requests (laughs) are going to cost this much. Um, so, and then time of materials is just, you get paid some hourly rate till they don't need you anymore or till you want off the project. Um, those are generally the ones I know I prefer to work on simply because I know the nature of software. And as we talked about earlier, you know, you could be on a, you could be headed this direction today and completely different direction tomorrow. And, um, you know, the only way to, to, to be comfortable with that is just get paid, you know, get paid to wherever to, to ride the waves, wherever they, wherever they take you. So and in my experience, it, software is historically very difficult to estimate yeah. and I'm probably not very good at it. So I generally lean towards time and materials contracts because exactly what Tim's talking about. The customer typically doesn't know what they're looking for either. And they say they want a car and it turns into an airplane halfway through the project. And um, in a time and materials contract, especially using the methodology that we do, we can pivot and just keep on going on. If we sold them a car and they asked for an airplane, that's a lot of change orders. And um, hopefully uh, we spec'd it out properly uh, so that we can get those change orders. But if we, uh, if they asked for a car and we estimated a vehicle and then they ended up asking for an airplane, well, guess what? We still sold them a vehicle. Yeah. 
So <laughs> we're left holding the bag, trying to figure out how to deliver on something that we didn't set out to build in the first place. Yeah. And these are very, very simplistic examples. I For mean, sure. obviously they get a lot more complicated. I mean, if you're, if you're trying, I mean, if you're first starting out, I mean, some of the early contracts I had were, you know, building a website for somebody. Um, and you know, they, that they were just like, Hey, how much is this going to cost? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, three grand. Um, and it was very basic front end and it provided them with a uh, end. um, you know, database tool that they can manage customers or something like that. Um, and so that, that was my, that was my experience. That was my exposure. Um, you know, you, you get trained really early on from, from those activities that what the customer can see and touch are the biggest things. And you'll spend more of your time doing the back end work, the grunt work. Um, so the front end gets all the glory, the back end gets all the, gets all the sweat. Um, but you know they, they they both have their merits. Um, so uh, you know I, I've I've not been on a time and materials pro project that was ever successful. Um, and I say successful as in brought a final product uh, the way it was uh, the way it was originally presented. Um, I've been on several that had attempted to do that, and then probably I don't. I want to say early on, but I think it was probably halfway through or if not later decided up. Oh, yeah. Hey, we keep things keep changing. So let's switch this over to a time of materials kind of thing. I've also seen where they tried to go the other way, went from time of materials to firm fixed costs and then found out, oh, well, every time I have to do something, I have to go through this whole process of of, you know, filling out these change tickets and everything else. And that's just annoying. So let's go back to. So to clarify, because you said it backwards, I think oh. it's, uh, you've never been on a firm fixed project that was successful. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Is that not what I said. That is definitely not what you okay. said. Okay. Yeah. I was like, "What do you mean? We're we're successful all the time." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, those are all things to to factor in. Like I said, you have there's an opportunity to make money, um, potentially more money, um, doing it the firm fixed costs, uh, but. You know, from a software perspective, because that stuff changes so frequently and has the potential to change so frequently, it's um, it it generally doesn't work out the way that, the way well, that everybody anticipated. Well, Tim, as a business, why would why wouldn't I just bring all this expertise in house and do it myself? So, from a small company that wants to just have some core functionality, like I said, the people that have hired me to be a you know single source, you know, like like one of the ones I'm thinking of early on was um, a restaurant chain that they wanted me to help them do some stuff. Well, they don't need a full-time IT staff to do that. They need somebody to, to build it, to build it and get it out there and then provides, you know, some, some uh, potential maintenance kind of going forward, but they don't need a full-time IT people. And so, you know, especially small business, they can't afford that kind of stuff. They might be able to afford, you know, two grand, five grand, maybe even as much as 10 grand to make a custom tool or get something to work for them that they need. But once that's done, they don't, they don't need that anymore. Well, so, and I mean, to use your example, like for that restaurant chain, do you know how to hire people to do this for you? Like we, I mean, honestly, you're going to, you're going to start your own it shop. All right. What, who, who are you going to interview? How many do you, how many people do you need? Yeah. Like, are you tooled to even what kind of laptops are you going to buy? I was just going to say, what kind of skill sets do you need to bring? bring You're not going to you? Best Buy and just picking up the one that's like seven ninety nine because guess what? That will that will work for about a week. That isn't going to get it done for for some heavyweight like server side development. Um, so you know if you're if you're really not geared to do that kind of uh, staffing up project management, I've seen it pretty often where. Um, businesses have hired it staff and then well you know we manage our own we we manage our our manufacturing so we can manage the it shop no it's it's a if you if you don't have experience uh taking requirements turning them into actionable pieces of work you know getting the development team geared up and and able to um to to start breaking ground on these kinds of projects you're you're gonna find that you're gonna have a lot of uh, either disgruntled employees and or uh, people sitting around doing nothing because they're looking to you to set the direction. And if you haven't done that before, you're you're 
<laughs> you you're not gonna do well at it right out of the gate well do you even want to you know I, I i know what kind of functionality i need or want um and you know i'll let the experts figure that out and that's why that's why i would hire somebody it's also cheaper um for the most part because you don't have to provide uh health and things of that nature um you know i've seen statistics where it can actually be 20 to 30 percent cheaper to hire a contractor than it is to talk about you don't even have to provide a desk like yeah. <laughs> they can work out of their office they can work they can work out of starbucks like yep. <laughs> as long as the work is getting done do you really do you really care where there does the work have to happen within your walls i mean maybe it does maybe it doesn't yeah i'm i'm even you know one of the apps that i use frequently is for jimmy johns i love me some jimmy johns and they them and chick-fil-a shout out to chick-fil-a Chick yeah um and but they have two really good apps but you know maybe chick-fil-a i'm certain they chick-fil-a and jimmy johns i'm sure they have an it department but they might not specialize in mobile platforms sure so you hire some some com some contracting company that's really good at mobile they build you a mobile app and you know give you some some verbiage or something about uh you know how much support they're going to provide for you and you get to walk away i mean and so you as a company don't have to worry about that you know it's it's this other company that's doing that stuff and if you have problems you forward it on to them and and bob's your uncle so yeah i i mean shoot you could even go so far as to contract out the the work to stand up your it shop i mean you know honestly yeah. hire people to do the job that they're good at doing yeah. day day out i wouldn't go to chick-fil-a and tell them how to make chicken i wouldn't expect them to know how to write really good web services so you know <laughs> it's when it when it when it comes down to it um you know hire the right people for the right jobs yeah. and um i think i think we're going to see a lot more of that uh, especially um in going forward for the next few years um as as the world kind of figures itself out in this in this um cor corona covid uh, uh quarantine dust storm <laughs> locust dust storm locust yeah whatever else is coming rapture um world that we live in uh, you know there's going to be a lot more demand for you know uh, seasoned experts coming in and doing a job that they're really good at and, and then uh, completing that task and moving on. Yeah, we work, I mean, we're a contracting company and, and, you know, we, we, we augment uh, an existing it staff for one of our, for one of our clients um, because they, they just didn't have the, they don't have the bandwidth to, to do uh, some of the some of the IT projects that are coming down the pipe. So it's like, hey, they, you know, one of their groups got a budget, and they're like, hey, we'll do our own thing. And so, you know, <laughs> that's one of our contracts. So it's not that it's not that they don't have an IT staff either. Um, it's that you know it it can augment. And again, you know, if you look at it from a just from a dollars perspective, you know, they're probably saving twenty to thirty percent. Whether you know, rather than having full time employees got anything else i would say a con of hiring contractors is they're not necessarily required to buy into the culture you know so you've got you know but we talked about that a little bit already where you know hey you've got my core team and then you've got these contractors and then you know depending on what the company is you know ideally they treat you as one of their team members you know and and recognize that you're there to augment um but you know, they're, they're, it's not a requirement for you to to be harmoniously <laughs> interactive because we've been with clients too that just treat us as, hey, if you're going to be in a meeting, just sit over there and don't yeah. speak. Yeah, please don't make eye contact. Yeah, and that those are those are those are difficult to to be involved with forever. And you know, that might might just be you know kind of how we run our businesses a little bit differently because we're we're not as focused with like milking a contract for every dollar that's no. on it we're, we're much more concerned with how much efficiency did we add to this business how you know did we have we made the lives better for the people that were that were our that are who are our clients you so know like the boy scout principle did we leave yeah, it better yeah, than we yeah. found it yeah is it 
how, what kind of condition is the code base when we got here and how, you know, we we're looking to make a measurable impact yeah. and not every, every business operates that way either. So that's, that, that's something to, to, con, con, to consider as well as if, if you were a, um, if a business thinking to, to hire a contracting company is that, um, you know, you really need to, it, culture swings both ways, right? So we want to make, you want to make sure that your culture is inclusive and and um, you know, appreciates the the work that that the contractor is doing for you, and you want to make sure that the contractor has has your interests in mind as well, um, because there are plenty of places that will take your money and, and leave you with nothing to show for it, and there are plenty of places that that really take pride in what they do, and um, are, are looking to make a measurable impact on on your business. I think we got everything covered, Van. All right, out of sight. This was For Love of Code. Thank you for joining us, everybody. You can find us at forloveofcode.com. That's F-O-R, loveofcode.com. We're on YouTube. We're on all the places where you stream your podcasts. Hey, why don't you do us a favor? Reach out and uh, say hi. Drop us a comment. Let us know what you think we're doing well. Uh, we'd love to hear your input and uh, you know, even give us some ideas for, for what we can talk about in the future. Um, that's it, everybody. Have a great day. Be kind to each other. Get back to work. Bye, everybody.